Welcome everyone to uh, another episode of Growing Forward. It's a collaboration between New Mexico Political Report and New Mexico PBS, where we examine cannabis in New Mexico. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report, and I'm joined with uh, I'm joined by Megan Camrick with New Mexico PBS. She's uh, also an on-air correspondent. I'm sorry, an on-air host for KUNM. Uh, thanks to everyone joining us on Facebook Live or watching us on YouTube today. And thanks to all of our podcast listeners. If you're watching us live on Facebook, feel free to ask some questions in the comments and we'll see if we can get them answered. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast by searching for Growing Forward on your preferred podcast platform or head over to New Mexico PBS and find us there. Uh, before we get to our guest today, we should note uh, that yesterday two cannabis legalization bills were introduced in the New Mexico State Senate. Uh, I've gone through the two bills and should have a story up shortly over at nmpoliticalreport.com. Uh, but today we're talking about uh, cannabis education, both for industry workers and medical professionals. Uh, today our guests are Matthew Fogel, a registered nurse in Albuquerque and author of The Green Elephant, The Healthcare Provider's Essential Guide to Understanding and Addressing Medical Cannabis and CBD. We're also joined by Shannon Hadamio. She's a cannabis educator and founder of Seacrest, formerly Cannabis New Mexico Staffing. Uh, she worked with the, she's working with the Northern New Mexico College to, uh, to, to set up an, an, uh, an accredited cannabis education program. Uh, and it's designed to anticipate an influx of, of workers uh, looking to get into the industry uh, if and when cannabis is legalized, as well as uh, medical cannabis, which we currently have in New Mexico. Uh, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for um, having me. Matthew, I, I want to get to you first. Uh, your book, The Green Elephant, seems kind of like a beginner's guide for healthcare providers and a common theme I saw throughout was just this honest dialogue uh, between patients and their providers. Can you uh, kind of give us a, a background of how your uh, views started on cannabis and how they changed and, and um, maybe what would have been different um, if, if you had this book in your life at the time? Definitely, definitely. Um, my background into cannabis uh, is uh, very interesting. I, I started, uh, my first experience was when I was uh, uh, 11 or 12 years old and some friends came over to play basketball in the evening. And uh, one of them asked me if he could smoke a cigarette. And I said, sure. And so he went in the corner and started smoking. And i had had no experience with cannabis at the time. And uh, my dad came out and he's usually very jovial. And all of a sudden it was like somebody threw a switch and his demeanor changed. And he said, you need to come in and they need to go home and it's your bedtime. And it wasn't any of those things. And so I was really confused. And uh, we got inside and he said, did you smoke any of that? And I said, no. And he said, well, that's cannabis. And I experienced that in the military and the barracks and it makes people go crazy. So you should never, ever use it. And so that really shaped my, my views on it for, for the foreseeable future of my life. Um, and then I became a, a registered nurse, as you said. And, um, you know, it's it, at the time, it was very frowned on in the medical industry. So it wasn't even a question if I was uh, pro-cannabis or not. And then as um, so many people, it happens to so many people in this, this sort of situation, it didn't become an issue for me until it became personal. I, I became very ill with a uh, gastrointestinal bleed that they couldn't diagnose and uh, became uh, so nauseous that I couldn't do my day-to-day -day activities because of the low blood levels. And so uh, basically my schedule for the day would be I'd wake up, I'd puke, and then every 30 minutes after I'd puke. And um, I, I couldn't do anything. 
And so one of my friends who was uh, big into cannabis at the time, he, we, we had gone on a vacation and he's like, look, man, you know, you're miserable. We're here in Las Vegas, Nevada. The, well, all you do is eat and drink. You can't do any of those things. Why don't you try this? It'll give it, it'll help you. And so um, my wife was with me, who's a nurse at the time. And we, we stepped back and had a conversation about it because this could impact our licenses and our future, you know? And so we had tried every medical treatment that we had opportunity to up until that point, nothing helped. And so I was like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I'm miserable. And so I tried it and um, it blew my mind. I, it, it took about 20 minutes for it to kick in. And all of a sudden I, I realized that I wasn't nauseous. And this was the first time in six months that I hadn't been nauseous and all, all the other aches and pains that I had been having started to go away. And so I, I was sitting there thinking about it and realized that, Hey, maybe everything that I've been told about this is not actually accurate. And so, uh, at that time I, I basically had started a nurse practitioner program, which I, I am now a nurse practitioner. And, um, I realized that nobody in medicine really knows much about this. And so my goal was to change the conversation from this is a drug and this is bad, or we need to be cautious approaching it to, Hey, your patients are using this. Why are they using this? Let's find that out. And then let's, let's circle back and see how it, it actually interacts with modern medicine. So, uh, Shannon, uh, just to, to shift gears just a little bit, uh, the target audience for Matthew's book is, is obviously medical professionals, uh, but you're tackling education from sort of a different angle. Can you first remind us uh, what's currently required of dispensary employees or, or any employees in the industry uh, in terms of education uh, for patients and what you hope to see uh, change in that respect with this program you're, you're involved in? Sure, yeah. So the Department of Health uh, oversees employee licensing at this time in New Mexico. And <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is doing a little a flip today on me. Uh, and uh, basically, if you look up a form called the MCP ID license form, uh, that is the form that will walk you through the requirements. Uh, right now, employees have to have a HIPAA certificate, food handlers, safety in some circumstances, and a background check from the Department of Public Safety and a nationwide background check, both showing no felonies. So those are the basic requirements to get licensed. The employers then have to sponsor that license for each employee that comes into the marketplace. And then the Department of Health owns the employee license. And so it, it's, a, it's an interesting system, unlike other systems in say Colorado and Oregon. Um, and so what I'd like to see happen is that we have a system whereby employees or individuals like you and I on this call, Megan can go and get her, uh, you know, cannabis establishment technician license, and she can go and own her own right to work through the state of New Mexico, get her credentials, take an exam, and then have her license and move about the marketplace. That would open up the talent pool and allow us to um, you know, really combat the labor shortages that we've been seeing now in medical cannabis and to actually oversee outcomes um, through licensing and education. And so right now the cannabis establishment tech program that we're rolling out is a proof of concept and a beginning stage to uh, lots to come for New Mexico with progress. But by doing this now, it would allow us to get ahead of adult use and to help to preserve the patient population and give the adult use, um, I guess, marketplace the tools they need around both medical and recreational cannabis. 
Can so, I clarify? So I was curious, you said a lot of people who go into a dispensary, they have personal experience. They're very passionate about it. They want to share that and help you. But from our previous conversation with you and this new program you're starting, I, I just, I'm still very interested that we don't have more requirements because you're prescribing something for people that we don't have more educational or certification requirements in place, which I'm, it's very interesting. You're doing this now, but am I hearing you right? We don't really have a ton of those right now. That's correct. I mean, you know, the nurse practitioners like uh, Mr. Fogel here, they have their own requirements and I'm sure he can speak to those, but those working in the retail setting, like pharmacy techs, who are you know called bud tenders and recreational cannabis or patient care technicians here in New Mexico with some folks essentially don't have that baseline requirement. They have some compliant compliance, but we have to understand that the businesses are self-regulated. And so what that means is that they actually have to provide this education. So they're self-taught in a mm -hmm. sense. And then the department is overseeing that self-taught practice. And what I'm proposing is that we have a third party that oversees outcomes to ensure that everybody does have that baseline and that industry language so that then they can go in and learn. We have to teach them that there is a such thing as a cannabinoid before they can go into the dispensary and learn how to do point of sale and all these other things. And so that's the baseline that I'm proposing there for all industry employees. And just to be clear, this is an actual accredited program at Northern New Mexico College, right? So someone can go and enroll right now uh, to, to get that education, whether they're employed right now or not? Yes, thank you. Uh, March 22nd, classes start up just, we're about eight weeks out from our start date. And we used the core compliance training from uh, the outcomes that we provided for the last two years to model this cannabis establishment tech course. And yes, it's, we're in open enrollment. I'm very, very excited because I've been doing this now for four years. And there's that gap there that really where colleges don't know how to grab a hold of industry. So we're gonna help fill that gap while we shift policy and help to bring awareness to consumers, public, and most of all those working and aspiring to work in the field. <clears throat> Matthew, to jump back to you for, for just a moment. Um, in your book, there's a common theme in there about having these conversations with patients over dosing and sort of the, the struggle with trying to get the right dosage and, and even sort of talking about some of these uh, pharmaceutical um, sort of synthetic uh, THC pills um, and, and this the, the, the idea of the whole plant, the, the entourage effect. Um, but I have a feeling we're going to start seeing as things move forward in legalization that sort of claims of fast acting or extra strength, um, these sort of things. And, and actually what I've seen more recently is um, studies coming out saying that it um, does certain things in relation to COVID-19. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the importance of, of, of medical professionals doing their due diligence to understand what this these things can and can't do? Absolutely. Uh, that's one of, the, one of the big things that I really uh, am passionate about is that it doesn't matter how you feel about cannabis as a medical provider. It, it matters not at all. Your patients are hearing about this from, you know, their friends, from the media. It's everywhere now. And so regardless of how you feel about it as a provider, your patients are going to try this. And so what, come, what it comes down to is as a provider, your due diligence is to make sure that you're educated on this uh, this treatment so that when your patients come in and say, Hey, I am going to try this, you can guide them to do it safely. 
it's all about uh, risk mitigation and uh, risk management. You know, you don't want these patients to put themselves into a place where they can, they're either using a medication that can interact with cannabis or they, uh, you know, go to a dispensary and they talk to uh, one of these uh, uh, patient techs and they decide they're going to try an edible and end up using way too much. You know, they can fall and cause all kinds of problems. And so it's, it's, regardless of how you feel about this as a provider, it's about making sure your patients are using it safely. We did have an earlier interview with Dr. Brent Hager from the University of New Mexico. He's a psychiatrist. And we talked about the potential negative aspects of cannabis use. And one problem is there's a difficulty in studying this plant more thoroughly because it's still a schedule one substance. So is this problematic as we talk about trying to help people properly prescribe it for patients? Very much so. Uh, so uh, you, you've said the word prescribe twice now, Megan, and I, I uh, want to point out that as a provider, we cannot prescribe cannabis due to that Schedule One uh, legality. All we can do is thank you for that a, clarification. Yeah, exactly. All we can do is provide a recommendation that because of this patient's disease states and symptoms, cannabis would be beneficial. And that's part of the disconnect. There is that basically, as a provider, we're like, yes, this would be great for you. Now go with God, go talk to the dispensary and see what they recommend for you, because most providers aren't knowledgeable enough to make specific recommendations. But as for the research part of it, you are 100% correct. Up until the past couple of years, uh, the only place you could get cannabis for actual government sanctioned research was from a farm in uh, Mississippi. And the percentages of THC were between six and 9%. Now, if you followed any kind of uh, medical cannabis, you know that currently it's the percentages are sitting between 16 and upwards of 30. And so that's a, a big gap there. You're not using the same actual material for these studies. And so uh, Congress uh, last year with the uh, one of the, I think it was the Moore Act, uh, basically uh, removed a lot of these restrictions. So we're going to start having some of this research. But uh, beyond that, uh, as, as a provider, uh, one of the things that uh, these people who are so ardently supporting the research, we have to have these double blind tests and research studies, they're forgetting that a lot of our information as providers comes from anecdotal evidence. Our patients come in and say, hey, you know, I took this pill for this, but it's also helping this. The perfect example is Viagra. It started as a medication for pulmonary hypertension. And the patients were coming in and saying, hey, doctor, I'm breathing a lot better, but I have this problem downstairs. And so they took that and ran with it and came up with the Viagra that we have now. And so that's how a lot of this research starts. And so we can't be so... Uh, focused on the the intellectual pursuit of research that we ignore this anecdotal evidence that can help guide that. We just had we had some folks watching on Facebook. Uh, Zeke chimes in. Zeke Rodriguez says THC toxicity is a real thing. It can exacerbate psychological issues. Canada is legal, but for 25 years of age and older. And also as the brain stops developing after 25, we also had Sandra had a question kind of along these lines and one, maybe one of you can answer, is there any restrictions or penalties for customers who give or allow access of minors to customers marijuana? 
I, I'm sure that's highly restricted. I couldn't tell you what the penalties are, but uh, it's it's definitely illegal for anybody who's a patient to give uh, their cannabis to anybody who is not a patient. So if that minor is not a patient, it's obviously illegal. In the state, we do have uh, cannabis cards for minors, and I know of several minors that are using with great uh, benefit. Um, but back to my previous statement, it's all about that risk management. You know, you look at the the patient and their disease states and say, hey, is cannabis going to help this in a way that the risks are lower than the reward benefit? And I thought it was really interesting in your book because you're talking about dosing and it's we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, but it's not like here, take two Tylenol <laughs> or take two. It seems to be kind of trial and error. Is that OK? It is a little bit. And that's one of the reasons that we say to start low and go slow. Um, most patients, uh, you know, when they think about cannabis, all this is, is changing a mindset. They approach it. And most people's experience is high school or college. And the only reason that they used was, let's be honest, to get messed up. And so it was no medical use. And so now that they're circling back and trying to use it medically, they still have that mindset of, you know, more is better. Let's get messed up. When in the book, I'm trying to say, hey, let's step back and approach it as a medicine. Medicines have specific dosing. And whenever you go to the doctor, they don't give you the highest dose of whatever pill they prescribe. They start you low and then make adjustments as, as needed. And so I'm saying with cannabis, let's, let's approach it the same way. Let's approach it as a medicine. Let's dose. Let's, let's regularly dose like you would a medicine every four hours, every eight hours, whatever, and get that solid, uh, steady state into the bloodstream. And that's going to be more effective for these patients than taking this huge blast and being ineffective for any of their daily activities. Shannon, I think this is a good transition to, to your program. Um, obviously there's, there's a, a, a divide there where you're not going to teach, you know, um, or, or the curriculum is not going to be so deep into the medical side of things, but I'm sure, uh, can you talk a little bit about what people might learn and, and where it stops, uh, on that education point? Sure. And that, <clears throat> that's a good point. You know, I mean, teaching people when to stop talking if they're not a medical professional and they're working with patients or to when to find a medical professional. Right. And, you know, to, uh, you know, Matthew's uh, point here, a, a couple of things come to mind. And that is, is that we don't have a lot of funding going towards research or education. <clears throat> Excuse me. So thank God for that anecdotal uh, evidence that helps us to train individuals. Uh, in the dispensary settings that right now that, that we do have, right? So with the Cannabis Establishment Technician course, we are teaching from that unbiased perspective as well because we need to mitigate risk, right? And the safety of the workforce and the patients and the consumers as we learn more is a public health and a community uh, health issue, right? We, do, we, we don't negate that. We, we definitely know that we wanna learn more from that scientific um, perspective. And so they'll be learning, you know, plant biology from a PhD plant biologist and learning about the basics of cannabis, terpenes, cannabinoids, the endocannabinoid system. They'll be learning from a nurse practitioner who works actively with patients. She has for over four years now, and they'll be learning their HIPAA from her with case studies about how to apply that to the actual industry here locally. Uh, which is very, very different from a lot of other folks taking HIPAAs in the cannabis industry and not knowing why we're actually doing that um, and lowering the risk of the business and the mar marketplace overall. Uh, they'll be taking prevention of misuse and abuse. 
so that they can spot when they're in the dispensary and dealing with, you know, cannabis consumption laws coming in and starting to play out in front of them. How do they spot that? How do they work with that? Um, and then just general ethics and policy so that they understand and they can navigate the landscape as things shift, right? And so it, it's a baseline that also teaches them basic vocabulary, uh, medical scientific, um, and a springboard for them to learn more uh, from there. So really right now with, with more and more support, I think that we're gonna see that a lot of people uh, will jump on board to grabbing more education. Uh, we have, and I know you mentioned young folks and caregivers um, and access to um, a younger population. Well, last year there was a bill that passed giving access in schools. However, the schools didn't wanna give access. Why was that? The nurses said, we don't have enough education. The federal regulations stopped them from wanting to help the children, right? And so what we're saying is, let's start a CNE program that teaches them, right? So that they can get some, some education along the way and, and maybe a CME program to help too. And so that's the next level. That's the trajectory of this industry. And uh, by putting together this program and giving this education to New Mexicans, we're, we're really ahead of the curve. So I'm very, very proud um, to say that. You mentioned when we started out, there's a workforce shortage. Um, why is that? And how will that be exacerbated perhaps if we legalize recreational cannabis? So the labor shortages, I've, uh, you know, my business before Seedcrest was called Cannabis NM Staffing. So I've interviewed thousands of people and helped a lot of folks to get to market. So thanks for asking that question because it's allowed me to work with a lot of the local businesses. And the reason they call me in is to help around the lag times of licensing due to state processes and labor shortages. So the licensing mechanism and processing actually causes the labor shortages. If you and Mr. Fogel and Andy and Bryce cannot go and get your own uh, right to work um, and then move about the marketplace, then the employers are not only having to recruit you, but then they're having to educate and hire you before they even get you on board. That's costing them time and money. And sometimes those processes lag um, and they lose people in the process. Um, and without the educational components and the markers in place, people don't know what to aspire to. So the labor's a bit all over the place. And um, so that causes the labor shortage in itself. And we have high turnover, Megan. We have high turnover and a, hot, a, a high cost per hire in our marketplace right now. So um, I think that uh, my theory is that by solving the licensing mechanism, and I, I mean updating it, and allowing, uh, like Colorado, you go to taxation and revenue, you can get your med badge, and then you can move about the, the marketplace. But almost, I'm saying we do it better than Colorado. We learn from them, and then we add in some markers uh, that really, really help people to move it into the marketplace safely, and that lend itself to entrepreneurship, right? Um, and so I, I really do think that it's, it's innovative and we're eons ahead, but we're going to see lots of other state, states moving in this fashion. A lot have already implemented responsible vendor training programs. So um, you'll, you'll start to hear that buzz in the marketplace. Shannon, is it your hope that the, the state sort of meets you sort of halfway, so to speak, and, and sort of implement some of these things and put them into rule or, or maybe even statute? We, you and I talked earlier before we started that the two bills that were dropped yesterday don't have any sort of specific education piece. So what do you hope to see from the state going forward? Sure. Well, I hope to see some sort of a carve out 
um, that you know allows support for the businesses and workplace and workforce rather, um, so that they can get education. Financial aid for the cannabis establishment tech course is a great way to start building um, around industry and those eleven thousand jobs that we're looking to implement with adult use. Um, and so right now we have a huge push by higher education um, around um, the opportunity scholarships. And I know they're wrapped up in some federal funding as well, but we've really got to kind of find a way here in New Mexico to reinvest in the community. Um, and that community does involve the cannabis industry. I don't want us forgotten about, right? The cannabis industry is 5% with 101,000 patients right now of the New Mexico population. And um, so I really am pushing for New Mexico and Dr. Rick Bailey at Northern, thank God for him too. He's pushing uh, for some sort of a carve out to help with financial aid. Um, the programs that we put together are self-funded and for obvious reasons, um, it's, it's, it's a highly regulated industry and we have lots to build. And so we are looking for that help from the state. Um, Matthew, one of the, the, the things you touched on in your book was, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the conversation, was I, I believe it's, they refer to it as the entourage effect, this idea that the plant, the whole plant provides beneficial uh, services, uses, but all together. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the downsides of um, maybe a doctor actually prescribing, you know, some of these prescription THC pills? Yeah, so the entourage effect is uh, a really fascinating phenomenon. So you have all these uh, cannabinoids, uh, seven or so of them, and basically the idea is that one will have a certain effect. You add another, and the effect of the two is going to be greater than the effects of the individuals. And then when you add all of them together, it's going to be an exponential effect. And so you're going to have this uh, stronger medicinal effect based on having all the cannabinoids together. And so uh, that also comes into play where they, they kind of... Uh, mitigate each other. CBD is kind of like a, uh, a, a playground recess monitor, if you will. So when uh, THC starts acting up too much and you get that high, CBD is the, the cannabinoid that pulls it back and says, hold on, let's, we don't want to do that. We want to have this balanced effect. And so, um, yeah, they, the, the synthetics or the, uh, the combination of just the THC and CBD, it can cause one or the other to uh, act out more than it normally would. And so uh, the biggest complaint we have with these pharmaceutical uh, uh, cannabinoids is that because they're, they're not reined in by the other cannabinoids, uh, patients uh, have a difficulty tolerating them. They, uh, they have anxiety, they have uh, uh, things like that, just this discomfort, and they, they find it very uh, hard to tolerate that as a therapy. I'm curious also it, what kind of conversations you've had with other medical providers, doctors, nurses, as far as hesitancy or maybe coming around to having these conversations. I will say the difference between our medical program and say Oklahoma, where they have just a general sort of a wellness model, right? Where they say the doctor just says this, this can help you. Uh, whereas yeah. here we have different qualifications, but um, have you seen any or had conversations that show uh, more hesitancy, less of a hesitancy from these, these doctors and nurses? 
my conversations have been uh, mostly positive. Everybody seems to have a hesitancy still, but it's it's uh, goes to what uh, Shannon was talking about about the lack of education. You know, uh, I was reading a statistic the other day that said nine out of ten uh, residents and fellows, uh, newly graduated doctors, don't feel confident enough to talk to their patients about cannabinoid therapy, and so. It, it all boils back to education. We have to educate these people who are in charge of our health so that they can help us to make these proper decisions. And, you know, I, I, I've said it before, but if providers are not going to educate themselves to be this fountain of uh, resource for these patients who are using uh, cannabis, the patients are going to find that information elsewhere. They're going to go elsewhere. And so it is our responsibility to educate ourselves to take care of these patients properly. We've got uh, another question on yeah, Facebook. Andy. I think this is probably a good uh, a wrap up for, and a question for both, I'll let Megan read it, but probably a good uh, question to end this on for both of you. Arthur Mayer wants to know, does this minimalist training put too much responsibility on the bud tender? It seems to me the emphasis should be placed on training the doctors who should have the training that will be more helpful a more helpful outcome for the patient. I wholeheartedly uh, agree. <laughs> I agree that we should have training, uh, you know, all the way around. Um, no, the baseline training is uh, for anybody, you know, even sidestepping their business into the industry. So anybody taking their skill set and transferring it, transferring it into our field, it's a good step, and it's the stepping stone and a prerequisite to courses and degree in entrepreneurship, uh, also growing plant biology, as well as nursing. Uh, we're also looking at apprenticeships and extraction. And so this is just the beginning of a three-year partnership that we have with Northern and a vision for you know specialty and technical trades and helping rural New Mexicans and New Mexicans who never thought they could get in and, and be in a kitchen and infuse cannabis to do that. Um, and then, you know, the next step, uh, you know, helping that medical community as well. But, and, and I wanna mention just real quick as, you know, uh, Matthew pointed out is, you know, that the medical community needs that support. And without the funding around that, and without that third party recognition around giving them the CMEs and all of that stuff that they're used to taking and doing and their CMEs, then they're gonna have trouble, which is, you know, certified nurse accredited program and certified medical program is what that means. Um, I hired uh, a few nurse practitioners over the years into cannabis. And one of the first things they ask is, do you have templates that help me to titrate or dose the patients, okay? And so we talked about that and I was holding holding it in this whole time, but it's a whole other episode. <laughs> Thank you, I, I appreciated that question. No, I wholeheartedly agree with her that, you know, we have to get this education out to everybody in the industry. You know, it's, and uh, to the, the, uh, the question asker, I agree, it shouldn't be on the bud tenders. The bud tenders, uh, they, they don't get paid enough. They don't have the background of education enough to help you make that health decision the way they should. And so your provider who is, is recommending cannabis as a treatment should be able to give you generalized guidelines. These cannabinoids specifically will help you. These terpenes will help you specifically. You're having pain, pinene would be great for you, you know, these sorts of things. And give them a general guideline of what to look for when they go into the dispensaries. But absolutely, it should not just be on this one group of people, the bud tenders. 
And I do want to wrap up by saying uh, to Mr. Mayor there, which was a great question. I happen to know Arthur, um, and so he's a, a wonderful friend and I think uh, well-known in the community, uh, that you know we do have in the regulations that the bud tenders are tasked with um, educating the patient population. So this is a baseline or minimal course that will allow them to have the right vocabulary to even sidestep in. I get calls all the time with people saying, I got in, now what do I do? <laughs> you know. And so we wanna make sure that they get in with confidence, they're empowered, and they've got you know uh, a group of educators supporting them along their journey. Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, moving forward, even if legalization passes, this is going to be, you know, education is going to be a big piece. So I, I thank you both Shannon and Matthew for joining us today. I do have to, I'm, I just got to ask Shannon about the poster behind you. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Oh, these are my stigma posters, my reefer madness. This is my wall of fame, as my girlfriend Jessica calls it. Oh, wow. I've got some reefer madness or stigma posters there. That one says the marijuana mob. Um, and, you know, they're those uh, reefer madness uh, kind of, you know, do not let your daughters have cannabis or they will be taken by this kind of man, you know, and all of that craziness. <laughs> it's just keeping in, in, in mind, you know, what the stigma that used to be around this as we try to sort of move beyond that. Oh, yeah, I, I seek to break that stigma every day in every way and to professionalize and validate this industry. We are professionals who are making a living, who are helping people, you know, Matthew with his book and helping patients have really dedicated time in our lives to learning a lot about this. So this stuff behind me reminds me of what we're doing for sure. That's great. Thank you. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, this was an episode of Growing Forward. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report. Uh, and Growing Forward is a collaboration between New Mexico PBS and New Mexico Political Report. And I'm Megan Kamrick. And you can join Andy and me next Thursday, February 11th at 8 a.m. on Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We will be discussing cannabis legalization. And you can find more information about that at KUNM.org. Thank you again, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have, have a good day.